You're listening to the Harris Beach Podcast, a show that explores evolving issues in the law and how they shape organizations, the way business is conducted, and how we live and work. The information provided in this episode does not and is not intended to constitute legal advice. Instead, all information, content, and materials are for general informational purposes only. Thanks for listening. Here's today's host. My name is Brian Carnavalli. I'm your host for today's episode where we're going to dive into common questions about the latest round of the Paycheck Protection Program, more commonly known as, as PPP. I'm joined today by Josh Steele, a partner in our Labor and Employment Group and a member of our CARES Act team. In addition to his work counseling employers on a litany of labor and employment issues, Josh has been extremely active in this PPP space, supporting clients with the application and forgiveness processes, as well as how to avoid or deal with fraud investigations. Josh, thanks so much for joining us to discuss this relief effort. Uh, it's of interest to so many organizations in New York State and nationwide. Very happy to be here, Brian. So I'm going to launch right into it, Josh. Um, I think the, the biggest question that people have right now is, what are the changes to PPP eligibility in this round of loans? Well, under the EAA, uh, this past late December, we have some expanded eligibility rules with, in terms of borrowers under the Triple P. So these are entities that previously weren't eligible for triple P loans, and now they are. There's kind of four new general categories of eligible uh, entities. They are housing cooperatives um, that don't employ more than 300 people, certain news organizations that don't employ more than 500 people per physical location, I have a 1C6 nonprofit organization, uh, as long as they're exempt from taxation under 501A, um, if they don't employ more than 300 people, and don't exceed some some lobbying restrictions, and then also some destination marketing organizations that don't employ more than 300 people, again, as long as they don't exceed certain limits on lobbying uh, activities. On the flip side, that's good news. These entities weren't eligible for uh, loans in the spring or the summer, now they are. There's also some new restrictions that are now applicable to triple P loans. If you weren't in operation on February 15th, 2020, you, you can't go now and get a loan. If you're getting covered under this other program, which is a, a grant for shuttered venue operators uh, that was under the EAA, if you're getting that, you can't get a triple P loan. And if you are otherwise eligible, but you have some owners of the entity that either they or their spouse um, are in certain branches of the federal government, you're not going to be eligible. Publicly traded companies is a big one. They've come out and said, listen, if you're a publicly traded company, you're not eligible anymore. A lot of publicly traded companies did receive loans uh, back in the spring. And then if you permanently close. So unfortunately, if you permanently close due to the pandemic, you're not eligible for a loan. These rules, these new eligibility things, both the expansions and the restrictions, they apply both to first draw triple P loans and second draw triple P loans. Although there's additional eligibility criteria for the second draw triple P loans. Josh, you mentioned that those general changes in eligibility applied to first and second draw loans. Uh, what additional eligibility rules apply just to second draw triple P loans? So the additional eligibility criteria for second draw triple P loans, uh, I'll just call them second draw loans, it's easier moving forward, is first you have to be an eligible entity, so meet both the pre-existing and the new eligibility criteria and you received a first draw triple P loan. There's a, a different size restriction here for second draw loans. You together with any affiliates have to have 300 or fewer, fewer total employees. Uh, the only exception to that is 
entities in the uh, accommodation and food service industry that had this NAICS code beginning with 72. Um, they have to have 300 or fewer employees at each location. So that's the only exception to that. Uh, you have to have used or will have used the entire amount of your first draw loan um, on eligible expenses on and before the date of the second draw loan uh, that's going to be dispersed. Uh, that won't be difficult for most borrowers, but that's something they want to do. Again, you don't get a second draw unless you've completely used the first draw. And I think the big one here and the one receiving the most, most press is you have to have experienced a qualifying revenue reduction in 2020 relative to 2019 rates of at least 25%. Um, and that's, Brian, really the important element here. Uh, it's the most complicated. And how they're defining that is very specific. And they're looking at gross receipts. Uh, and they define that gross receipts term. So that's what people are looking at now is trying to see if they qualify for that 25% reduction on these second draw loans. When it comes to the what constitutes an eligible, forgivable expense, you know, I feel like that was a pretty straightforward um, rundown in, in the first waves of PPP loans. Have there been changes to what is now considered forgivable or changes to the period of time covered? Yeah, so there's been two changes, and, and we'll flip this up a little bit to kind of differentiate between eligible uses of Triple P proceeds and the uses of triple P proceeds that are eligible for forgiveness. Um, there, there's a little bit of a difference there. So initially under the triple P prior to this new legislation, the allowable uses for the triple P loans were payroll costs, which includes employee benefits and, and retirement benefits. And that's a pretty broad category that's been really well flushed out. So we know what goes in there. Mortgage interest payments, rent payments, utility payments, uh, interest on payments of any other debt obligation as long as it predated you know, February 15, 2020, and refi refinancing the idle loans if you took one of those out. Those were all allowable uses. However, not all of them were subject to capable of forgiveness. Uh, for example, the, the, the payments of other debt obligations, that wasn't subject to forgiveness. And with respect to the refinancing of the SBA idle loan, that wasn't eligible for forgiveness. So you could use it, but it wasn't eligible for forgiveness. Uh, the new legislation and the interim final rules have added four new categories, both of, of allowable uses of triple P loans, and all four of these are also uh, capable of being forgiven. These apply both to, I think importantly here, second draw loans and also first draw loans if the SBA hasn't already remitted forgiveness to your lender for that loan or if that didn't occur prior to December 27th. So, the important thing here is these apply to second draw loans, and if anybody is still waiting for forgiveness in the first draw loans, these apply to those as well. And those four new elements are uh, covered operational expenses, um, which has got a very specific definition uh, related to business software, a cloud computing service that, that facilitates your business operations. Uh, think HRS, think inventory tracking, think some, some payroll expenses. Uh, that kind of, again, underneath the software or cloud computing service, covered property damage costs, which they're referring there is, a, this is the second one, it's costs related to property damage or vandalism uh, due to public dis disturbances that occurred during 2020, as long as they weren't covered by insurance or something else, so you can't get double recovery. Uh, covered supplier costs, which is probably the, the biggest one here, which is expenditures that suppliers made for 
goods that were essential to their business during that. And then the covered worker protection expenditures, these are looking at you know, operating or capital expenditures that businesses had to incur in order to meet the guidance or requirements of you know, CDC, OSHA, uh, HHS, or state entities, their rules relating to COVID-19 for the protection of employees and customers. Think partitions uh, between workspaces. Think uh, masks. Think the addition of outdoor seating for restaurants, the addition of a, a new um, outdoor pickup window, things like that. Entities where you had these expenditures in order to comply with some of the state uh, or federal requirements to protect your workers and customers. The other thing you mentioned, Brian, uh, in your question was changes to the cover period. Uh, there was some significant change to that under the EAA as well. What that cover period, it can be referred to as a cover period, a covered loan period, covered forgiveness period. It's the period of time after receipt of a loan uh, and it starts on the date you actually receive, receive the loan proceeds, but it's a period of time uh, during which m money that you spend on covered expenses, covered forgivable expenses, can be actually be forgiven. So it, it's that period of time uh, where you look at to see how much you spent on these allowable items that can give you forgiveness. Um, originally, under the Triple P, uh, that was an eight-week period. So it started on the date you received the loans, and it lasted for eight weeks. Uh, then, uh, when the the Triple P Flexibility Act was passed in the beginning of June. Uh, that changed that eight-week period to a 24-week period, again, starting on the day that you received the loan. Um, for borrowers that had received a loan prior to the, the Triple PFA, the Flexibility Act, they could choose either eight or 24, but it still was one of those two periods. Under the new rule and the interim rules in the law, borrowers now have some more flexibility. Uh, with respect to that cover period, uh, it still has to start on the date you receive the loan proceeds, but now you can select a period of varying length, but anywhere between eight and 24 weeks. So you can choose nine weeks, you can choose 10 weeks, you can choose eight, you can choose 22, any period of time in there, you get to choose as a borrower. Uh, this does add a significant amount of flexibility. With respect to the use of these loans, um, it allows you to, uh, if you have the money pursuant to the loan, kind of float it for a little bit longer, and it kind of provides that flexibility to allow you to get full forgiveness. Um, because a lot of borrowers with respect to the first period, um, you know, they had the choice between eight and 24. Well, the problem was eight weeks, maybe they didn't use all the money yet on covered expenses. But if they went out to 24 weeks, they were in a position where their full-time employee count went down so much uh, during that subsequent time period that they would have resulted in a, a loss of forgiveness due to that full-time equivalent reduction. So they were kind of put between a rock and a hard place. This new approach, you know, provides them with the, the flexibility to choose the length of that covered period to really tailor their needs. And again, this applies to both second draw loans and first draw loans, as long as SBA didn't remit forgiveness to your lender on that loan prior to December 27th, 2020. That's really specific, really, really helpful overview there. When you think about the guidance, is there anything else about forgiveness that remains a little bit unclear, a little bit? fuzzy or, you know, should people have a really clear understanding at this point? If you had asked me this question a few days ago, I would have had a really long list of, of pretty significant concerns, but the biggest one being how are the pre-existing forgiveness rules going to apply to second draw loans, specifically with the previous reduction in forgiveness amount due to a reduction in, in an employer or borrower's 
full-time equivalent count during the cover period. So big picture here, they want to encourage people to keep employees. They want to encourage borrowers to keep employees on the payroll. So one of the ways they did that with the triple P was saying, listen, we're going to compare what your average full-time employee count is during this cover period. Um, and then we are going to compare that to a baseline period. And if your employee count during the cover period, when you're using the loan is less, then we're going to reduce your forgiveness. That, that's something now that, that we weren't clear how they were going to apply that with a second draw loan. What was it going to be the base period that we compare it to? Was it going to be, you know, the, the day you receive the loan proceeds? Was it going to be some previous time during 2020? Was it going to be some time prior to the COVID-19 uh, pandemic? What was that base period we were going to be compared against? The new rules now have made that clear. They were just issued uh, a couple of days ago, Brian. Um, we're looking at an employer can choose the base period of either February 15th, 2019 through June 30th, 2019 to get their base full-time equivalent count or January 1st, 2020 through February 29th, 2020. There's also an additional or a separate rule for seasonal employers. Uh, the additional issue with respect to forgiveness are these new four allowable uses, right? The covered worker expenditures, um, the uh, covered operational expenses, uh, covered supplier costs, and covered property damage. Uh, with respect to the, the allowable and forgivable uses that were part of the initial triple P, we have had a, a ton of guidance on this, lots of FAQs, lots of different versions of rules come out that really have helped focus what falls in there with respect to these new ones, especially the covered supplier costs and the covered operational expenses, it's still unclear what exactly falls within those categories, especially around the edges. You know, the, the entirety of the definition we have for those right now is, you know, a paragraph of a couple sentences each for both of those categories. So what falls within those and what doesn't, that's going to be very significant, and we just don't know that yet. So I'm going to switch gears for a second here, Josh, just a little bit. Um, it appears that triple P fraud investigations are increasing uh, from the initial draws. And, you know, you can see in the news that some of those investigations are, you know, qu quite blatant in the, in the misuse of, of loan funds, but give our audience a little bit of color on the idea that, you know, even if a recipient did use the funds for appropriate purposes, are they still at risk for an investigation, um, what should they be mindful of even when using those funds appropriately? Yeah, Brian, that's a really good point. And I, I think, you know, obviously a lot of borrowers use the funds correctly uh, and they might be surprised that they're still going to be subject to some kind of audit and review. Um, I, I think there's two things really to talk about here. One, when you're looking at these audits investigations, we're seeing that they are investigating technical and clerical errors potentially with respect to the applications. Um, the big one we're seeing here is affiliation. When the initial uh, round of triple P applications came out, they were confusing. They went through several different versions within the first couple weeks of that uh, application for the triple P loans and borrowers were you know, struggling to get those out quickly, work with their banks because they wanted the money so that they could stay in business and continue to you know, pay their employees. So people are moving quickly and there's a lot of uncertainty, especially around with respect to affiliation. So that's kind of a clerical error or what you might consider, you know, something that's a technical error, nothing intentional here. Maybe you didn't list all of your affiliates correctly, or maybe you didn't understand the question. 
Um, but now, uh, let's say you apply for a second round, they're more clear about that. So you do list your affiliates correctly. That could trigger an investigation. We're seeing things like that. Similar to you know setting up your employee accounts or calculating your payroll. We know really well what goes into calculating the loan amount now. But when we initially did that, it wasn't that clear what was to be included, what couldn't be. There was issues with payments to 1099. Uh, independent contractors initially, there was some guidance indicating that they could be included in payroll costs. Subsequently, it's clear they're not. So these are all kind of technical errors or issues. A um, little bit of hindsight, you know, 2020, Monday morning quarterbacking with respect to the applications that we're seeing that it can trigger this audit and investigation. The other big one. Uh, again, we're assuming all the money was used correctly, used on allowable expenses. The other big one we're seeing here, which is a big focus, is the certification on the applications that the loan was necessary uh, due to economic uncertainty surrounding COVID at the time. They're really targeting that, that statement of necessity, that certification that the loan was necessary. They're looking at automatically any loan over $2 million is going to have to complete this questionnaire when they're asking for forgiveness. That questionnaire on loan necessity looks at not just what position you were in at the loan when the loan occurred, but when you apply for the loan, it's also looking at you know how you fared over the months after you received the loan, which again doesn't necessarily go to the statement you made on the application, but it's something that we're looking at. Uh, so that's another big one we're seeing a lot of activity on that, and we expect that to continue specifically with that that necessity uh, certification on the loan application. Josh, I know that every organization is going to approach these loans differently. They have different circumstances, they have different needs. Um, but you know, if you could boil it down, are, are, there, are there a few sort of common questions that you're getting from clients as they embark on this process? Yeah, absolutely. So I guess the common questions would be split into different categories. For people that have not yet submitted a forgiveness application, that they expect to give 100% forgiveness of their first draw triple P loan. For those individuals, what they're really asking questions about is the, the forgiveness application. How can I try to boost the amount of forgiveness I get to get close to 100%, both under the pre-existing standards and with these new rules? What falls within them? What are my next steps? You know, how can we how can we get that 100% forgiveness? Another component of that is you know some of these safe harbors that apply to certain businesses. There's a couple that are kind of nebulous. They're not really well described. We've got like two paragraphs that are very big safe harbors. Uh, the big one here is a safe harbor that, that avoids a reduction in forgiveness amount due to a full-time equivalent employee reduction. Uh, if you couldn't return to pre-COVID levels due to you know, compliance or you know, a loss of business activity due to compliance with these federal or state guidelines on COVID-19, that's obviously a big one. I'm getting a lot of questions on that. So again, the people that haven't yet submitted uh, that first round uh, forgiveness or they submitted it, but they're not expecting 100% forgiveness, they want to know under the new rules, is there anything I can do to increase my forgiveness amount? On the flip side, with respect to the second draw loans, the, the big questions we're seeing relate to eligibility and specifically, as we discussed before, establishing and proving that they suffered that 25% loss in revenue so that they're eligible for the second draw loan. Um, that's a big one that's technical that includes, you know, working with an attorney and an accountant or a tax pre preparer to determine whether or not you meet that requirement. And again, then making the same kind of certifications of necessity that you made with respect to the first loan. Those same certifications apply to the second draw loan. And then the other question with respect to second draw loans is, is forgiveness. How much of this can I expect to be forgiven or 
what do I have to do if and when I receive this loan to set myself up to ensure that I'm going to get as much forgiveness uh, as, as possible? Last question. These loans are, are lifelines to many, many businesses, and clearly there's so much to know, so many details to follow. If you're a business thinking about applying for a new loan or working on forgiveness from an initial draw, how can an attorney aid in the process? You know, how can you help them? There's quite a few things we can do, but I think that the big ones are we can help you feel comfortable that you have a good faith basis for making the certifications on the loan that you're making with respect to things like necessity, with respect to things like, you know, if it's a forgiveness application for forgiveness, uh, we know what the rules are, we know where the pitfalls are, and we can help guide you through that process and provide opinions on what you can and can't do so that you avoid making mistakes that you kind of pay for later. Um, the second thing we can do is with respect to forgiveness applications, work with you to try to maximize that potential amount of forgiveness. Um, work with your accountants. Again, we're not doing the math as attorneys, but we are checking the math that's being done by somebody else that works for you, making sure it's accurate, pointing out areas where there might be concerns. And I think that the big one is getting you in a position so that once you get the loan, you have a really good idea of what you can use it on. And if you use it in the way you're planning, how much will be forgiven? Uh, because, you know, worst case scenario, for a borrower, and we were in this position a little bit with the first loan where we were having clients getting loans before we had the rules on forgiveness. Uh, so the worst case scenario, I said back then, the worst case scenario is you get this loan, you spend it all, um, even though your business is not doing well, you spend it all on wages and, and covered expenses uh, because you want to follow the rules. And then you find out that something you did prevents you from getting forgiveness. So now you're in a worse position than you were in before. Um, because now you're not going to get forgiveness on a loan and you spend it on something that didn't result in uh, a high amount of economic activity that could pay it back. So I think that's another thing in terms of peace of mind is putting you in a position so that you can know when you get the loan, you know how to spend it, and you can have a really accurate assessment of how much will be forgiven when that period ends. Josh, thanks again for joining us. That was a, a really fantastic overview of a, a subject that's very, very uh, trending right now, to say the least. So, so we appreciate it. Um, if your organization has questions about pursuing a new Triple P loan or forgiveness from an earlier loan, visit our website, www.harrisbeach.com for more information, including how to get in touch with Josh Steele. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to the Harris Beach Podcast. Be sure to visit harrisbeach.com to join the conversation and access show notes. Please rate, subscribe, and leave a review wherever you listen to your podcast.